Welcome to The New Yorker's December 6, 2010 issue. We have five articles for you. In the talk of the town, Lizzie Whittacombe speaks to Colin Firth about preparing for his role in the new film The King's Speech. Next, Connie Brock profiles multi-billionaire Eli Brode and how he is using his wealth to transform the arts in Los Angeles. Then Gay Talese writes about soprano Marina Poplovskaya, one of the world's most dynamic opera singers. And finally, in the current cinema, David Denby reviews Black Swan, directed by Darren Aronofsky and starring Natalie Portman, and Love and Other Drugs, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Anne Hathaway. But first, it's this week's comment. In Precedent and Prologue, Jeffrey Tubin writes about the 10-year anniversary of Bush v. Gore. Momentous Supreme Court cases tend to move quickly into the slipstream of the Court's history. In the first ten years after Brown v. Board of Education, the 1954 decision that ended the doctrine of separate but equal in public education, the justices cited the case more than 25 times. In the ten years after Roe v. Wade, the abortion rights decision of 1973, there were more than 65 references to that landmark. This month marks ten years since the court, by a vote of five to four, terminated the election of 2000 and delivered the presidency to George W. Bush. Over that decade, the justices have provided a verdict of sorts on Bush v. Gore by the number of times they have cited it. Zero. Both sides had their reasons for consigning the decision to history and leaving it there. In his concession speech on the day after the decision, Al Gore said simply, It's time for me to go. He meant it, and he left politics for a life of entrepreneurship and good works. George W. Bush, for his part, found little reason to dwell on the controversial nature of his ascension to office, and in his memoir, Decision Points, he devotes less than a page to the Supreme Court decision. My first response was relief, he writes of his reaction. In public appearances, Antonin Scalia, a member of the majority in Bush v. Gore, regularly offers this message to people who question him about the decision. Get over it. Even at the time, Bush v. Gore was treated as a kind of novelty item, a one-off decision that applied only to the peculiar facts then before the justices. The majority itself seemed to want it that way. In the most famous sentence from the decision, the justices wrote, Our consideration is limited to the present circumstances, for the problem of equal protection in election processes generally presents many complexities. Unlike most weighty decisions, Bush v. Gore had no single author and was delineated per curiam by the court, a designation the justices usually reserve for minor cases.